look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I'll tell you quite a bit about football and just a little bit about life. This week, my guests, Philip Lindsay, the rising star running back of the Denver Broncos, and boy, does he have a tale to tell. Also, all pro safety of the Minnesota Vikings, Harrison Smith. I happen to think that Smith is the best safety playing in professional football. This is really going to be a great hour. I can tell you, you're going to really, really like both conversations. But before I get to those, I want to tell you a bit of a good news story this week. A story that didn't really start off very good last January and February. And that's the story of the Indianapolis Colts. So last January came the news that the Indianapolis Colts and Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, had uh, reached an informal agreement. You can't sign a contract until after the end of the season uh, when you're t- after your team has played its last game. So uh, the, the Colts and McDaniels, Uh, agreed. But then after the game, after the Super Bowl game, the Patriots obviously lost to the Eagles and McDaniels is free. Two days after the Super Bowl, he's going in, he thinks, to clean out his office in New England. And over the next about 10 hours on the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, convinced Josh McDaniels, to not go to Indianapolis, but to stay in New England. He asked to call Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, and Ballard is miffed. But at the end of the day, as he told me that week, you know, I'm glad it happened now because I want to make sure that whoever we get as the coach is going to be absolutely unequivocally all in. And that night, Chris Ballard did not know who he was going to hire as his head coach. He was trying to recover from the earthquake of losing out on Josh McDaniels. So a few days passed, and the Colts uh, decide they're going to interview Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl champion Eagles. And Reich comes in, and I remember talking to Chris Ballard sometime after this, and I said, what do you really like about Reich? And uh, I like his imagination. I like uh, the fact that he's all in on team. It's not about one guy, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he said, but I'll tell you one of the things that I really found interesting. He said, he never asked me about Andrew Luck. And I said, well, why would that be impressive? And he said, because this guy is so convinced that he's going to win and he is going to build a great team that no matter who his quarterback is, he doesn't care. 
He's going to come in and he's going to build a team and we're going to win here in Indianapolis. And whereas everybody else is very concerned, how's Andrew Luck's rehab going? How's Luck going to be? What's going to happen with Luck? I mean, you know, we're, we're lining up to play in September, whoever the quarterback is. And he was the one coach who we talked to who was not, uh, you know, who was not so totally focused on the physical condition of the quarterback because he was going to want this job no matter who the quarterback was going to be. That's how much he believed in himself. So anyway, Wright gets the job, and let's fast forward to this season. And I think other than the fact that Andrew Luck has been healthy and he's been a work in progress because when I saw him in training camp, he was not throwing any deep balls, any deep bombs. And when he did, his arm motion was a little conservative. He wasn't really cutting it loose. But now you watch Andrew Luck, and he looks like Andrew Luck of three years ago, of the totally healthy Andrew Luck, really going back to about 2014. And uh, Andrew Luck is right. Uh, Chris Ballard, the general manager, has really done a good job in rebuilding a porous offensive line and in getting some new pieces led by Darius Leonard on the defensive front. Uh, he might be the defensive rookie of the year, Darius Leonard. He leads the NFL in tackles through 12 weeks. So uh, the last thing I would I would convey about this is that um, you know Frank Reich is one of these guys who is just so grateful about where he is and grateful about his lot in life. He's a very religious man. And he just last week sat back in his coach's locker room and needed a moment with himself because he was so emotional about everything and how it turned out with the Indianapolis Colts. McDaniels backing out of the job. Uh, Jim Ursay, the owner of the team, uh, and Chris Ballard, the general manager, giving him the offer to coach the team and him taking the offer and him coming in and building the team his way. And right now, the Indianapolis Colts are on a run. They're 6-5. and five. They're on the absolute precipice of making the playoffs. It's going to be close down the stretch. The schedule might be a little bit in their favor down the stretch. But whatever happens, the Indianapolis Colts can sit back and know that after the pain of Super Bowl week, when they were jilted by the coach who they had chosen, after the pain of that week, they know that they got the right guy in-house because it's a guy who wants to be there, who is meshed with everybody in the organization, and who he knows, Frank Reich knows, that you're probably only going to get one chance in life to be a head coach. And he's going to do everything in his power to take advantage of that chance. And it didn't seem so a few months ago, but the Indianapolis Colts are lucky that they happened to luck into Frank Reich as their head coach. And now my conversation with Philip Lindsay, the running back of the Denver Broncos. Back on the Peter King podcast, happy to be joined by Denver Broncos running back, uh, Philip Lindsay. And I could have made a lot of predictions uh, at the start of this NFL season. But one of them that you probably wouldn't believe is that a running back for the Denver Broncos named Philip Lindsay would be in the among the top ten rushers in the NFL. Here we are entering December, 
And Philip Lindsay is seventh in the NFL with 780 rushing yards and a huge 5.8 yards per carry. And Philip, thanks for joining me, first of all. And, and if I had told you on Labor Day weekend, when you were probably still sweating it out a little bit on whether you were even going to make the Denver Broncos, that here we would be entering December and you'd have more rushing yards than David Johnson, Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Miller, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore. What would you say? I would say, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Sure. And uh, I would say um, I, I believe in myself. I have all the confidence in the world for myself. And, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would believe you if, if you said that's what I was going to do this year, just because <laughs> I have the confidence in myself. I think you're crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I just for people who don't know your story, I'm just going to tell it very briefly, and yeah, then yeah. And, and I want you to correct me, break in if I'm wrong. Okay. Okay. So you uh, were born in Denver, uh, in Aurora, yeah. in Aurora, Colorado, uh, suburb yeah. of Denver, and uh, your dad was a big running back in the Denver area when he was in high school. In fact, he set the all-time Denver public school rushing record with 4,400 yards in the 70s when he was in high school. And when you went to high school uh, at South High School in Denver, when you went to high school, you chased and eventually beat his rushing record when you were a senior. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So what was that like, kind of chasing the ghost of your father? And when you would come home from games, would he be saying to you, hey, son, take it easy. I, that's a record I want to keep. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, for my father, he's never been one that doesn't want nobody to break his record. I told him when I was uh, in Little League, I told my father – I said, I told my pops, I was like, I'm going to break your record when I go to high school. And my, my father just told me, he was like, I hope you do, son. Because the record was holding for, what, damn near 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And so, and there's nothing better than for your son to go to the DPS and break the record, too. And it was a bittersweet moment when I did break the record because I broke the record, but I also blew my knee out that same game. Wow. About two plays after I broke the, broke the record. That's crazy. So, what yeah. it, you broke the record? Was it a long run or short run? No, uh, yeah. So it started at the beginning of the game. I actually broke probably like a thirty-five yard run, thirty thirty-eight yard run, and uh, you know, uh, probably in the, the at the end of the first quarter, I was I broke the record. Okay, going into that second quarter. And so, tell me, uh, did they did any did they stop the game or anything, or did anybody did. recognize it? No, so they did. So they, they, they knew that I was about to break uh, the DPS uh, rushing record. So they did stop the game for a second. Uh, I did get c- congratulated from both both teams, both my team and uh, the opposing team. And the uh, second quarter went out there, made a cut, and blew my knee out. Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. Yeah. The same day, just minutes later? Yeah, minutes later, man. Wow. Did you know when you uh, went down that your knee was uh, screwed up? I knew something was wrong because I heard three pops. Oh, wow. Three pops, and it hurt. And wow. I was like, okay. And I walked off the field. Or, 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 I ran off the field or hobbled off the field. And uh, 
Um, I told him, you know, asked him, you know, tell something was wrong. So I didn't play the rest of that game. I sat out the next game. I got checked. And the people that checked me, they just went through the regular, you know, protocol of seeing with ACL, and they said that my knee was strong. Well, I knew something wasn't right because I still wasn't getting better from the, the you know, after the game. Yeah. And I played the third game of the season, and I actually had uh, nine carries for, for 115 yards. and With a torn uh, ACL. With a torn ACL and didn't even know it. I, it, was, it wasn't until actually I did the same exact move, the same spot almost, as the first game, and it gave out on me. And, and that's when I knew, you know, it was done. Something, wow. something exactly wasn't right. Wow. So at the yeah. time, refresh my memory now, because I read about this, and I want to make sure I'm right. You at that time had gotten a scholarship offer from the University of Colorado. And I got I got a scholarship offer from them. Yep, and and they and and the way scholarship offers go, they could have exactly. done the wrong thing and taken this taken the scholarship back, but they they uh, they kept the scholarship intact, right? Well, well, check this out. Yeah. So at that time with Colorado, uh, Coach Eric Bieniemy was my coach. He's the one who offered me my scholarship. Yep. Uh, and John, Coach John Embry was the coach at that time. Yep. The day that they came to my in-house visit uh, to see me, and I blew my knee at that time, so they knew And, and we're, we're, what we are going to do was gray shirt me, let me get well, and then go from there. Because Coach Bianami really – me and Coach Bianami had have a bond, and we still do to this day. Uh, and he believed in me when nobody else did. And uh, so, I, you know, I'm asking Coach uh, Embry, who's the head coach at the time, you know, how many years do they have? You know, do you have? And he said, they're going to let me finish out my contract, which was about two years. Well, right after, right after he got done with me, he was driving in a car. I get a phone call from my uncle saying, did you see the news? And Coach Embry got fired and didn't even know it. <laughs> so he's driving from my house back to Boulder and doesn't even know he got fired. And I'm sitting here like, damn. You know, and now I'm That's a rough business. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sitting here like, damn, what am I going to do? What are, you know, exactly what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going to go. Pretty much all the scholarships were off the table other than Colorado because my next one was going to be Utah. Yeah. But they picked up a, a running back at that time. And they had – actually, they had my teammate, Booker, that was coming in. Yeah. And so I was, I was left kind of dead, you know, kind of just there and didn't know what I was going to do. I'm 100 – I was 160 pounds wet. Not even that. I was probably 155. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here like, damn, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no need. My, my, sur- my surgery went well, but I didn't have the money to do, to do, um, to do the right therapy to get my knee right. So my, my knee was really messed up before, before I got to Colorado. Yeah. So then what, then what happens? What happens? Well, yeah. So then I get a call from Coach Mack. And I know Coach Mack didn't know nothing from me. He's coming from the Bay Area. This is Mike uh, McIntyre, the new Colorado coach. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. And, uh. You know, he calls me and he says he wants to honor my scholarship, but he wants to see me. So he comes for an in-house visit and he looks and, and he sees this 160-pound kid soaking wet, all this wild-ass hair, and he's just like, damn, this kid, you know what I mean? He, he's looking at me like, I don't know why we just, why, why the <laughs> other coaches offered him. <laughs> and he knew my knee wasn't right. You know, my knee wasn't right. I wasn't getting the right treatment. So pretty much, I think in his head at that time, he was like, this kid's going to be on scholarship, but he's not going to be able to play for us. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they honored the thing just because I was from Colorado and he's and he seen something inside me. He's seen the, 
the juice, the 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 way I carried myself, the excitement that he decided to 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 uh, take that chance on me. So uh, when you went to Colorado, I'm thinking now. So this has to be what, like, in the winter of your senior year of high yeah. school. Okay, exactly. so 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 your knee was still kind of messed up. What did you do about your knee, and what did you do about the rehab? Yeah. So, by I was five months out of surgery, and I couldn't bend or straighten my knee. Wow! And when I went went to the spring game of Colorado, they checked my knee out, and they came back to Coach Mack, and they were like, "We don't think that this kid's going to be able to play again." Wow. I'm sitting there, and there was only one dude, and, I'm, and his name's Ted Lane, and he's still he's he's still around the facility, but he has his own training facility, and he works with people with knees, and he used to be a big tra- trainer at University of Colorado, and he told me, and he he looked me in the eye and said, "Son, if you if you trust me and believe in me, I will make sure that I get your knee ready before this season starts." Wow. So I worked with with a man named Ted Lane the whole time there, and I knew I was gonna redshirt. I'm, I'm a buck. At that time, I'm a buck fifty-five, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit, maybe even buck fifty. And I worked with this man Ted Lane for the whole year, and I won't. I'll be damned if it wasn't the the last day before uh, training camp started. My rookie, uh, my freshman year, that he got my knee fully extended, fully straightened, and strong to to, to start my freshman campaign now so this would have been the 2014 season your redshirt freshman year my red well yeah my freshman my my real freshman year yeah so i think it was 2013 2014 okay all right you you came a long way in a few months because wasn't it um i I think i'm confused about the time a little bit did you was was that you played the spring game and then it was like maybe three or four months later I was visiting the spring game. Okay. See, at that time, I was still, yeah, I was still, uh, still uh, in high school. Right. You know how you come for your, your of course. UK, like I was in state, so I was able to go to the spring game. So they brought me up for the spring game right before uh, the spring game, right before we kind of started everything out. Right. I already committed to them and everything else. I just couldn't come until you know spring game was over until you know high yeah. school was done. Yeah. And so. I came in and he worked once we once we got to high, once we got done with high school I, I I right away went up there to start rehabbing on my knee when I was eligible to to be with the team considered right. with the team and be able to do it and that's when everything started for me yeah um so you know you redshirt that first year and then you're right and then your second year you yeah. uh start to make them notice you by the fact that and I from one thing I read that that uh your coach Mike McIntyre called you the Tasmanian devil uh because yeah. you just sort of wanted it out there. What was it like trying to get noticed with all the running backs on that roster? I mean, when we came in, I came in with another running back, uh Michael Atkins who was uh actually he played his freshman year. So he he actually had a pretty good freshman year and we had some other running backs. So for me, I was just out there trying to make a name for myself, and honestly, it came from my 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 redshirt year doing practice squad, and and that's when I made my name for myself because I was out there working hard, but I was fighting people, and you have this hundred sixty pound dude just does not you know is not standing down backing down to anybody, and I'm out there fighting people and and doing anything I can you know uh, to get my knee well. I, I took it as a challenge to get my knee well to get myself back back to being who I am. 
And I'll never forget when I won um, rookie uh, – it was um, uh, practice squad player of the year. Wow. And that right there is one of the biggest awards that I will ever feel that I uh, achieved and won. And that, that right there made me who I am today. Hmm. That's really cool. And that's, that's where I started getting my name. Yeah. Um, we're with Philip Lindsay, running back of the Denver Broncos. Uh, after 12 weeks of the NFL season, uh, he has come from being an undrafted free agent to the number seven rusher in the NFL so far this season. So, Philip, I want to ask you one other college question. You had yeah. a really good junior and senior year both. You rushed for almost 3,000 yards. You scored 30 touchdowns. You, you were yeah. a dominant, dominant player. And I just want to know what goes through your mind when, after that season, you do not, this past, uh, this past winter, you did not get invited to the scouting combine. Yeah. First off, I want to thank my, uh, my junior and senior running back coach, Coach Darian Hagan, who believed in me and actually helped me get to this, to this part right now where I am today. Uh, and then he's a bit, one of the big reasons why I'm here. Um, and going into it, I thought, you know, I thought, you know, I really didn't pay much attention to that. But I did think, you know what, I was going to get a combine invite. I mean, I'm sitting here. Uh, I was leading the Pac-12, I think my last year or, or junior, one of those years, and I was in the top in the top in, in, in college football for rushing for the past two years. And so I thought, okay, you know, I was going to get my opportunity at least. At least I deserved that much. And when I didn't get the call, I mean, I think it was just a slap in the face. It was a disrespect. Were you shocked? I was. I was angry. I was shocked. I was angry. I was confused. And, uh, you know, and I just didn't know why. I didn't understand how you, you don't give credit where credit's due. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm putting my body on the line. I'm doing what I have to do. I'm competing with the so-called best of the best, and I'm up there too. And I don't get an opportunity to showcase it in front of every, you know, in front of pretty much when, you, when, when you're at the combine, it's, it's, a, it's a way to show the whole entire world what you're about. And me being from Colorado, I still don't feel like we got the publicity that we deserve because we are from Colorado and we weren't USC and we weren't uh, Alabama and them. So, in a sense, you wanted to go to the combine so you can get that recognition. So you can be on equal footing with all those guys who you're talking about from those schools. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. At least get that, that opportunity. Did you watch the combine? And if so, were you seething with anger? I was mad. I, I watched it because I wanted to see – uh, you know, what the other running backs were doing. I wanted to see the other running backs. That, some of them I didn't even know about. Yeah, I, I didn't have no clue about, and they had maybe 400 yards rushing, and they were, they were invited. And the only thing that I could see that they had that I didn't was the size. That's yeah. the only thing that I could see was, was, was different because I sit there and I, I use it as motivation. I worked my ass off uh, to train for my pro day. My pro day was my combine, and I knew that. And what happened at your pro day at Colorado? Well, first off, I want to sh- give a big shout-out to Coach Lauren Landau, who's actually our weight coach now for the Denver Broncos. But before he was wow. there, he, uh, he, was, um, he, trained, he, pre- he prepped uh, about, 20, I'm about, to say about 20 of us for the, uh, for the NFL uh, combine and for NFL pro days. And he's for uh, Landau Performance. Okay. And he, he got me ready for my, my, my uh, pro day. And what happened at that pro day? My pro day, I probably had one of the best 
pro days that I think that anybody could have if they were ready. I mean, I had I ran a four three, I, I ran a four three eight, four three nine forty. I jumped a thirty six, uh, thirty five and a half, thirty yeah, thirty five and a half vert. Um, uh, well, uh, yeah, um, what was it? Uh, broad jump. I mean, I had vert with thirty five and a half broad jump. My broad jump, I forgot my my broad jump, but it was pretty good. And I I did well on the drills. Yeah. I mean, right there, I think I, I like the scouts that the scouts that were there. They were really impressed, you know. And I think that I put a, a big impression on a lot of people. On top of that, I went to to the East West Shrine game, and you know, I was I, I was uh you know, the scouts were really impressed with me there too. So tell me what your draft weekend experience was like. Did you watch much of the draft, and how did you feel that weekend in April? It was. I'm gonna just say this. It was. I. And this is for you know kids getting ready for the draft and everything else. One thing I want to say is you're going to hear a lot of things and a lot of things go on. A lot of it is going to end up being bullshit. And the thing is, if you're not mentally prepared, mentally ready, it it will mess with you. That that whole three days was hell. It really was. And it wasn't hell just for me. It was hell for my family because you're sitting there waiting for a phone call every 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 time you get a chance. And you knew the first round you were going to go in. You knew the second round you weren't going. When you get to the fifth, sixth, seventh round, that's when you have to wait. So you're waiting three days. And you're sitting there with your family, and every time you get a phone call, it's not, and it's not the one. Everybody, everybody gets nervous. Everybody gets nervous. Your nerves, you start, to, you, start to, you start to get angry. You start to get upset. You start to, you start to really you want to cry. You want to cry because you're seeing everybody go but not you. And you want to know why. You want to know why people feel like you're not good enough. Um. Did you cry? I don't lie, I did. I, I was in the room with my father, and I did cry. I did cry because I sat there, and, and, and my family's there, and I'm looking at my family, and they're crying. And they're, they're, crying, they're crying with me because they know how bad that, uh, you know, how bad I've, I've worked for it and, and how much I wanted it and how much they wanted it for me. So I know what happens on Saturday mid to late afternoon when the seventh round is over, you're sitting there yeah. in Denver and all of a sudden it's like the gold rush. Teams are trying to get their undrafted free agents signed immediately. Exactly. Uh, and there's a race for it. So mm -hmm. after the sadness, tell me what it was like when the phone is ringing with teams trying to recruit you, or was it your agent handling the calls? What was happening? Both. Both of us were handling calls, and I was confused. I was confused because I'm saying, like, damn, all these teams want me. Almost all 32 teams wanted me. But they couldn't <laughs> spend a, a seventh-round draft pick on me. They couldn't spend one draft pick on me. But everybody yeah. wants to call my phone now, and that's how I was thinking. And I was angry. I was mad. Yeah. You know what I mean? My agent, you know, we're all, we only have 15 minutes to decide. These, these teams are only giving us 15 minutes to decide where to go. And I'm thinking, damn, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I have to try to make my living at. And, and and for me, I ain't never been away from home like that. You know what I mean? You got Baltimore as probably my top at the time. I ain't never been to Baltimore in my life. Yeah, I would have to try to swindle some money up to try to to to, to try to live out there until I until I made the team. And at that time, making the team was damn. Like like you know you. you it's not like guaranteed. You don't have to yeah. making the team. Yeah. So how did you decide on the Broncos? Yeah. So. After the draft was done, I was angry, too. I, like, like, you know, I was angry. And mainly I was angry with the Broncos. I ain't going to lie at the time because 
Uh, I looked in and they they picked two running backs in front of me. But which at the end of the day now are probably one two of my best friends now, which is funny. But you know uh, we've been through a lot now. But they they picked a seven round pick that I thought you know I thought maybe I was gonna be that guy, and they picked him. And then the, the Broncos called me saying that they want me. By well, that time I was mad. I was like, nah, nah yeah. I, I, like, like, I I don't I don't I, I don't want to go here with somebody that doesn't want me. Right. You know, and 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 at that time. I'm sitting there like, I don't know where I want to go. And I got 15 minutes to decide. My family's going crazy. My agent's trying to tell me, you know, what's, what's best for me. And I'm just running with a lot of emotion at that time. You got all this emotion. So what caused you to pick the Broncos? Well, through all that chaos, my mother, who just, sit, who's, who, who just sits there, my mother's a real quiet woman. And she observes a lot of things. And, and she, has, she gets a lot of feelings. And a lot of times where her feelings, when, when her feelings are, are right, you go with them. And if, if, if it means, Phil, you need to stay home tonight, you stay home tonight because something ain't right. And so I'm sitting there, everybody's going crazy, you know, family, you know, we're kind of arguing where I should go. And it gets quiet. And my mother kind of sits there, and my mother looks around the room, and she says, Phil, you need to stay home. You need to go to the Denver Broncos. And that right there is when I, you know, my agent was pushing for me to go to Denver as well. And that's right there when I sat down and I had to let my emotions go yeah. I had to take my pride and put it to the side, and I had to really think about it. And I had at that time I had like five minutes left, and I called my agent and I said, "Let's go with Denver." <laughs> That's fantastic. It really is, Philip Lindsay. A couple more minutes. So I hate to give short shrift to what's happened in your rookie year in the NFL because yeah. it's amazing, but oh, yeah. I just I'm I'm so curious now. You get to Denver. How do you think you distinguished yourself and what made the difference in training camp uh, for you not only to make the team but to get significant playing time right away? Yeah, I, like, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a model that Coach Lauren Landau went by with us for um, combine prep training. And it, it, it was pretty much like you're still not shit. Even when you think you're doing well, you're not shit. And I knew going in here I was at the bottom of the totem pole. I knew nothing like that, that I needed to prove myself the most out of everybody. And I knew that what I needed to do the most was be quiet, put my head down, and just grind. And just grind. And when I got opportunities, because I knew I wasn't at the time, I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities. My agent, uh, my agent told me, you know, you may get four, five, five plays the whole, the whole practice. But make, out of those five plays, make them all count. So I knew going in there I needed to make everything count. Let's go into your season. Um, what was it like for you the first day you stepped on the field in a real NFL game? What was going through your mind? It was a surreal moment. Uh, I think my mother cried. Me, I just was numb. I was numb. I didn't know what to expect. I'm sitting here, and I'm just so happy to just be on the team. I'm thinking, shit, I might get maybe three, four special team plays at Gunner. You know what I mean? If, if that. Right. So I'm just happy-go-lucky. I'm just happy to be on the team. And I'm just sitting there just taking everything in, embracing what I went through. But I, I really can't just get it through my head because it's so – I'm numb. I, you know, I went through so much, and I just don't know, don't know how to express it. And um, when, you, when you actually started to play, I thought one of the – I, I'm sure you don't look back on it and think it was funny, but 
one of the things that was so incredible is that the third game you guys play, you're playing the Baltimore Ravens, and you get involved in a fight, and you get yeah. tossed. So I want to know what happened in that game that made you so mad that you got tossed. I'm just uh, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm just an emotional player. And I, you know, I just got I just, this thing is like, you know, I was going for the ball, and I, I try to punch it out and, and end up hitting somebody. And the ref seen it as me trying to hit somebody. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here 185 pounds. This guy's like 300. Yeah. Like, come on. You know what I mean? But it was just a lot of emotions going through that game. The second game of your life, you play the Oakland Raiders. It's in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. the stadium where, when you're a kid, you're watching your beloved Denver Broncos, and mm. y- you you go in there and you rush for 107 yards against the Oakland Raiders with the Pirates on the helmet. You got to yeah. take me to the field that day and tell me what that was like. It was a blur. I was out there. The offensive line was doing a great job of moving people. And honestly, it was my second game. You know, I'm getting the feel of things. I'm just out there playing. So I'm out there just making plays, and honestly, to be speaking, I probably messed up on majority of the plays I got. <laughs> I, I ran the wrong way a couple of times. Case helped me out. Case, Case bailed me out a couple of times. Case Keenum, so, your quarterback. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and him being a vet and understanding my emotions, I ran the wrong way. He turns, he turns his, you know, he gets his hips around and and has the ball off like nothing, nothing ever was wrong. When I ran the wrong route, and nobody's gonna know, but but when I got to that sideline, I got a a lot a lot a lot uh, you know said to me to, from my running back coach <laughs> after that. Yeah. But yeah, it was a it was a blur, you know. But after the game, I was able to to be able to thank my offensive line and and just thank, thank them enough for giving me the opportunity to do this. You just ran for 110 yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, the Super Bowl champions. All those times over the years, there's Mike Tomlin on the sidelines, Ben Roethlisberger playing quarterback, Troy Polamalu's old team. Here's his great yeah. team. So, what was that like for you on Sunday? It was a it was it was a wild game. It, it was, was a wild, wild game. game, yeah. It was uh, exciting, and honestly, you got to understand, like people look at things and they look at when the Steelers and they look at them when they had Bijo Green and all of them. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, man, this the Steelers is a hard hitting team. And we knew that going to the game. We're going to darkness. It's about to be a dog fight. And we have a great rookie class. And one thing I I'll, I'll tell you when you when you're dealing with a lot of rookies, you're dealing with, with with kids, a bunch of young men that really don't know what they're getting themselves into. You so we don't care. We go out there, we're playing football just to play football. We're out there playing. We don't, we don't understand the, the rivalry of the Broncos in Oakland. We haven't been around long enough and in the NFL long enough to understand it like that. So we're out there playing for each other. And I think that helps you. That helps you because you're not looking at the helmet. You're not looking at the person that's wearing it. You're just out there playing football. And that's how, and that's how you know, I take it every, every game, and that's how our rookie class takes it every game. I'm going to finish by asking you this question. Um, what's the moral of your story? What what would you want people to know about you? And what do you think you've learned from your first three months as an NFL player? So, I mean, I can't give you a moral of the story because the story's not done. The story just started. And there's so much to, so much to me than just right now 
to get to get to from the start, and there's so much to me later on. Good, the good and bad that's going to come my way because that's just how life is. It's ups and downs. But what I wanted to, to show young kids and people is that you don't have to be a certain size and be a certain person to do what you want to do. If you have heart and you love what you do and you're out there and you're giving everything you got and, and you're okay with who you are and being who you are and, and not being a follower but being a leader and being, being a person that wants to make an impact in life, that, that you can do anything you want to do. You, by the way, do you still live with your parents? Right now, yeah, yeah. You probably hear about it. That's great. I, mean, I love that. Three months ago, three months ago, I didn't know where I was. I didn't have, I didn't have, I just got, you know, I got my degree. That was it. I didn't have a job <laughs> or anything. You know, if I didn't get, if I didn't uh, get an opportunity with the Denver Broncos, I would be trying to find a job right now. Does your mom tell you, you know? what, what time to be home? Nah, no, nah, I'm still a grown man now. I'm still a grown man, but uh, they are helping me out, and I'm helping them out. You know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a thing. Like you know, uh, you, it's, it is what it is right now. You know, I, I am going to get my own place at the end of the year. Yeah. But until then, it's about being smart. You know, I'm an undrafted free agent. You know, you make a you know minimum of the rookie salary, so you got to be smart with it. Man, your dad must be so proud of you. They all are. They all are uh, proud of me. Every day they smile, but they also know that, you know, you got here, but you got to stay here now. You got you to gotta, you gotta put the work in. You know what I mean? You can't be satisfied. And I know that. I understand that. In my model, like Coach Lauren Landau always says, I'm still not shit. <laughs> and I'm just another person. I don't think you're supposed to say that on our podcast, but that's okay. I, I mean, love hey. it. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Philip Lindsay, running back for the Denver Broncos. I must say, I've been doing this podcast for three years. This has been one of the greatest half hours ever in my podcast. You've been a delightful guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. It's, it's, it's an honor and privilege. Hey, your confidence is important. Sometimes one change can make all the difference. Hair Club knows this, and they're inviting you to become part of the Hair Club family to see how getting the most out of your hair can change your life. Hair Club understands the emotions you're feeling and knows the questions you have. Hair Club's the leader in total hair solutions, with a legacy of success for over 40 years. Whether you're looking to revitalize the growth of your own hair or to learn more about the latest proven methods for hair replacement or restoration, Hair Club's professionally trained stylists, hair health experts, and consultants will craft a personalized solution to ensure you feel your best and to ensure you get the most out of your hair. See for yourself just how powerful great hair can be. Go to hairclub.com king today for a free hair analysis and a free take-home hair care kit all valued at over $300. That's hairclub.com slash king. Hairclub.com slash K-I-N-G. You'll get a free hair analysis and a free hair care kit. One more time, hairclub.com slash king. Experience your hair and your life at its best. Only with Hair Club. I'm certain you'll love the club. Now my conversation with Viking safety, Harrison Smith. 
back on the Peter King Podcast. Uh, pleasure to be joined now by the best safety in the National Football League. Harrison Smith uh, has been uh, all pro last year, has been Pro Bowl the last three years. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons I wanted wanted to have him on the show, uh, of, of many reasons, uh, is that I simply had to talk to him about his tackle on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. But first, welcome to the show, Harrison. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Pete. So, um, first, I, I, I got to ask you, watching the Sunday night game, there was a play, and one of the reasons that I'm going to ask you about this is that I think of, of, the, of the players playing football right now, um, the one who you remind me of an awful lot is Luke Keekley. And obviously, you don't play the same position. But you have the ability to seemingly know what's going to happen on the play a half step before or a half second before everybody else does. And so I'm going to ask you about this play. Huge fourth down in this game. Packers have to make it. Uh, second half of the game, fourth and a foot maybe. And so uh, Aaron Rodgers hands it off, and here comes the back. And you somehow get around the end in time to clip him around the feet, and you hold him short of the first down. And that basically was, in my opinion, the biggest play in the game. So I need you to describe what happened on that play, how you knew, and how you got the edge on that play. Um, You know, just kind of film study and – being in that situation a bunch of different times, you kind of get a feel for what, what teams want to do. And then, um, you know, comparing me to Keekly, that's obviously, you know, very flattering. He's, he's been a great player. But playing safety, oftentimes you want to you wanna err a little more on the side of coverage than on the side of being overly aggressive because it can, it can kind of cost you more. Yep. Uh, but in that situation, I was kind of in a position where I read, I read run pass pretty quick. Um, kind of had some anticipation on knowing, you know, who I needed to get past there and, and get into the backfield and make a stop. So really just getting down in a good stance and, and reading my key, but having having an idea of, of where the ball was going to hit and where I needed to go within that. But then, I, you know, there was also a surge up front from Daniil Hunter and Eric Kendrick. So, uh, you know, there was a bunch of us that kind of made that play happen. Do you learn what your key is on Wednesday and Thursday and, and Friday watching tape? Yes, but you 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 almost can't know you can't watch everything and know everything. They're always going to throw a wrinkle at you. Um, you know the offensive coordinators and the players and quarterbacks are so good in this league. They're always going to find new ways uh, to attack what you got going on. Um, so there's kind of there's just an understanding of, of football of the game and how how teams want to hurt you. And you kind of you kind of learn as you play more and more years, and you remember plays you got beat on or successful plays you had, and then you just kind of storm away. And sometimes they they kind of pop back up quickly and allow you to make um, kind of a faster decision or faster read. I'm curious, not necessarily on this particular play, but when you look at keys and try to determine keys, are you looking? What is going to tell me first whether it's run pass or or tell me take me through your thought process of how you learn what you believe the play is going to be? Um, it it depends on the opponent and the situation. 
um, kind of what's going on in the game, what my assignment is. Um, and then from there, you don't want to guess, you know, because you could watch film all day long and and they could run one play and you're like, okay, that's all they run. But they don't, they don't have to do that. They can run what they can run, whatever they want every time. So, um, you know, early on as a young player, I really kind of bought into that, just believing everything I see. But now it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to watch the film and have a general idea and maybe a little anticipation. Um, but, but I'm still going to trust my key first because they can do whatever they want. And, you know, sometimes if you watch too much film, you couldn't get in trouble for that, you know, for believing it too much and just playing what you saw in film instead of actually playing what's happening in reality. Um, so at the end of the day, you're just playing football, reading your keys. And that, that idea, that anticipation can help you if you use it you know, correctly. Sean Payton was talking to me about you, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And he said that one of the things that he really appreciates about you, and he quite honestly, when they play you, he kind of fears about you, is your memory. Your memory of plays that happened a long time ago and how you, how very often when the Saints would run, try to run a play, you would have figured out what they were going to do, even though maybe you hadn't seen it in two or three years. Is he accurate? And how do you do that? I mean, I'm not, I'm not Sean McVay with that, <laughs> with that memory he's got. Um, yeah. But I, but I definitely try it, you know, kind of like I said, I try to keep that like bank of plays that have hurt me. And I, I normally can, can go back to those, um, and really, I think I think that started for me in college, um, you know, getting beat on some plays and then not correcting them until I got to the sideline and my coach had to correct them for me. And now it's like if I mess up a play, I try to I try to know what I messed up so they can't come back to it that same drive. You know, that's that's what I try to do. Do I always do it? You know, I don't know. But that's kind of the goal. Um, but but yeah, talking to I talked to Coach Payton at the Pro Bowl last year and we were just talking like plays from our playoff game. And it like he's he's one of those guys too that just he just loves talking football. Yeah. So just kinda of going back and forth and we, we both were just going back on the, all the plays that happened and um you know just just enjoy talking football with guys like that. And so that makes it easy to remember plays when that's kinda of all you want to talk about. Well Peyton is just like that too because he's he's like Tiger Woods remembering his third shot on seven at the Masters in two thousand four. Uh, he'll know it, and he and okay. So McVeigh is sort of a sicko about that, but I think I think most players really and most coaches have a great catalog that they can that they can choose from. I think maybe better than other professions because, I mean, if you ask me about a story I wrote eight years ago, I would say I have no clue what you're talking about. But I really find that players remember. Like I was talking to Russell Wilson about his. It, one of one of his throws in 2014 in a playoff game, he remembers it perfectly. He remembers it vividly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find that even though you say you're not McVay, do you have a great recall on plays from your past? Yeah, on on like significant plays on. Yeah. Like you know, I can tell you like the coverages I was in when I got my first interception and probably every interception or or every touchdown I've ever given up. Um, or plays I should have played differently, I could probably tell you, you know, what they did and what, what I did. Um, and I think that, like you said, that there's kind of like a personal connection. And then I think it helps moving forward to have that memory of, 
of good and bad things because then you can kind of alter how you play going forward based based off those those memories. As somebody now who has played, uh, you've played Aaron Rodgers, whatever it is, 10 or 12 or 14 times now, um, when you get prepared to play a game against him, this question just totally hit me because of the game the other day. Are there things that you have to prepare for against him that you don't necessarily have to prepare for against other quarterbacks? Or what is it like to prepare for Rodgers? You definitely have to start with with you know what, what they do on first and second down and third downs and just like normal games. Um, but then there's kind of the second part of every play that can happen when, when Rodgers is back there. Uh, it's like an, it's like after a few seconds, a whole new play starts, and it's almost like basketball and grass, like guys running all over the place, and he can he can hit them, you know, rolling to his right, rolling to his left, stepping up in the pocket, making a guy miss, and then he'll, you know, there there was a play on tape against Seattle where he, you know, he rolled out to the right and then threw it like fifty five, sixty yards in the air on a dot to the tight end. It was his first career catch touchdown, like. You know, yeah, sixty-yard touchdown. Um, so that's that's what you always have to be aware of with him. Um, so that that second part of the play uh, is something that's you know you know some guys do it, but I think he's he's probably the best at it. Harrison, I want to ask you something about your team this year. You had obviously a choppy start. You start in your first four games with one win, two losses, and a tie, and. You gave up a bunch of points, especially uh, that game out in L.A. against the Rams. Uh, you lost to the Bills at home in a, in a real weird game. And I wonder, at the end of September there, you're through four games. Is there any part of your team in your locker room saying, holy crap, what is happening? <laughs> um, you know, I, cliche answer is is no. You know, we never – never uh you know lost hope or anything but you know that that is the truth i think we have a very confident team um a team that believes in ourselves and in in each other and in our coaches um so there's never there's never really been a time where we where we questioned it there's there's been a time where we we know we have to step up and start playing how we should be playing uh when you look back early in the year um and you say oh if we could change a play here or play there, then we'd be, you know, sitting at a better record than we are now. Uh, but that's how it is every year. That's how it is with every team. There's always one or two plays here that could change the whole season. Um, and we just have to know that and take advantage of those plays the rest of the season, um, you know, because we still everything we want is in front of us. Um, so really there there wasn't a time where there was no panic, but there's definitely a time to say, okay, you know, it's time that we step up and we, we start playing how we know we can. You, I'm sure you watch developments around football. Um, you know, scoring this year is up five points per team per, or per game rather. And you know, the offenses uh, in a few t- on a few teams are sort of going bat crap out there. And uh, and 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 I would I, I've asked a few players this question about what they're seeing, how much is the game changing, and all that. But just from your perspective, do you notice the explosion? Do you, do you feel anything different on the field? As a defensive player, 
the one rule that drives me out of my mind is the defenseless receiver rule where if you're a safety and you're approaching a receiver and the ball's coming, you almost have to wait and stop mm-hmm. until something happens. It's just it's totally different from everything you've ever been taught as a football player. But I guess I'll just ask you this open-ended question. Does the game feel a little bit different right now with with the emphasis on, on offense that you're seeing? Yeah. You know, honest answer, definitely yes. Um, and, you know, I obviously don't like those rules. You know, kind of like you mentioned, the defenseless player. I, I think the worst rule in any level of football is the targeting ejection in college football. I think it's just disgusting that you can throw a kid out of a game for one second, one split second where they don't even mean to do something. Um, I think that's terrible. And I think that's, you know, in the, in the pro game now too, but it is what it is. You know, Zim had a quote that he said, the league gets what the league wants and, you know, people want to see more scoring and that's, that's how it is. It's still fair, you know. Every defense has to go against the same set of rules. Uh, it's just harder for defenses as a whole. But it's still fair, you know, across the league. So you just got to adjust to it. I know it's hard to adjust to it. Um, but you got to try and uh, play within the rules because otherwise it's just going to it's gonna hurt your team. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get penalties, suspensions, fines, all that. Um, and and it's gonna it's gonna keep guys healthier in the long run, um, even though the points go up, which I don't like seeing. Um, you know, but it is what it is right now. On the one hand, I just did a story with NBC on Steve Gleason, who is the Saints' safety and special teams player who has mm-hmm. ALS. And uh, I think even though he, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I think he feels pretty confident that he knows why. You know why probably why this happened you know it comes from years of being an incredibly rough tough undersized uh probably used his head more than any player today ever would player and and so on the one hand i absolutely unequivocally sympathize and understand why the nfl is making these rules i get it i support it i want football to exist in 50 years yeah i so 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 i get it but I watched a game last Monday night, a week ago, where uh, the safety for the Chiefs, Eric Murray, is coming in uh, against Robert Woods of the Rams, and he quite literally stopped, let the play happen, or close to the play happen, and then he put a shoulder into his midsection, and he caused the ball to jar loose, and he got the 15-yard penalty. And he did yeah. everything right. He didn't hit him in the head. He hit him with the shoulder right in the chest exactly the way you are taught to do it now. And he waited. He could have totally blown him up, but he didn't. And 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 the and the and the and the fate of this series was on the next play, Robert Woods scored the touchdown to put the Rams ahead mm-hmm. in the game. And I'm saying to myself, I I mean, I would be going bat crap out there right now if I was if I was a defensive player having to deal with that yeah I mean that's that's it's so hard to actually execute what he did there to to slow yourself down in that moment and aim for the proper target and then actually hit that target and then you still get in trouble for it um but that's all he could do there so if they're going to call it they're going to call it um he he did everything he could to play within the rules of the game and you know, let the decision makers make their decisions after that. But 
know, that's everything that, that, that we can do as defensive players. There was another play in that game. I think it was a Rams safety or defensive player that, that got a, a leading with a helmet. And it was, uh, I don't know, a Chiefs player lowered their helmet initially. And then as a defender, like, what, do you, what else are you supposed to do besides yeah. kind of do the same thing? Defend yourself. But, yeah. He, but yeah, but the defender obviously got the flag. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, it's definitely it's definitely hard. It, you know, it's hard to, to, to do some of those things. But that's, that's you know, that's why it's the NFL. That's why you got the best of the best out there, and, and you try to try to play within the game, and then, like I said, let the decision makers make the decisions. Are you still bullish on the future of football? Yeah, you know, like you said, you know, as a defensive guy, I, you know, I don't like the rules against the defense, but you know, I think in the long term, it's it's going to be good for the game, um, and it's gonna it's gonna keep it around because, you know, with with everything going on, kind of the the vibe uh, around football the past few years has been, you know, that, that people are getting, there's too much head trauma and all this. So uh, we got to find a way to, to, to lower that. Finishing up with Harrison Smith of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'll end with this Harrison. I'll, I'll just ask you when you're a kid growing up in Tennessee, and even when you were uh, a safety at Notre Dame, could you have envisioned the success that you would have had to this point in your career and if you were to maybe give a little bit of advice to a young player today who's looking at you and said, I want to be like Harrison Smith, what would you say? Um, well, for, for starters, no. No, I, 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 I never really thought I would play in the NFL. I, I wanted to, but I never, you know, it's, it's, you've you got to have some luck along the way as well. Um, I think my advice would be um, – you know, when I was young, I just I just used to love to play anything, whatever it was. I was going to play, and then once I started getting recruited and you know going to a big time college football program, you start thinking about the NFL. And I think that I think that was kind of the worst thing for me. Um, at a point, I just started saying, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to go play and have fun, play as hard as I can, do everything I can to make every play, and not worry about what comes next. So I, that's how I still try to play. Uh, is that is that right now moment? Um, not not saving anything for the next play or the next game or the next year. You just leave it all right now. So whatever you're doing, whether it's football or any other sport, you know I I, I just believe that's the best way to approach it to leave everything out there every time you you step out on the field. Harrison Smith, um, safety of the Minnesota Vikings, really appreciate your your lessons and your thoughts and your education about what it's like to play this game today. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks to my guest, Philip Lindsay of the Denver Broncos and Harrison Smith of the Minnesota Vikings. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to the other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and John Elway. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Hair Club. 
please support Hair Club the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.